0: Welcome to Empowered, by women for women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired. Brought to you by MVintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. Today's guest needs little introduction. We are talking to the Honourable Dr. Miriam Darley, the Minister for Energy, Enterprise and Sustainable Development. But politics was not Dr. Darley's first love. Miriam started her career in journalism, working for over 15 years in communications and media. Between 2005 and 2009, Miriam Dali served as news editor at One TV and Radio, becoming the first Maltese female TV news editor. In 2014, she became the first female Labour MEP to be elected directly to the European Parliament and remained as a member of the European Parliament from 2014 to 2020, where she held a number of significant roles and positions relating to key investigations and legislation. In October 2020, Miriam Dali was sworn in the Parliament of Malta, And in November 2020, she was appointed Minister for Energy, Enterprise and Sustainable Development. Miriam Dali that is quite some
1: resume thank you so much for being with us. Thank you Trudy. Well I'm you know I'm following you and I'm just uh, say, okay it was in 2005 okay I'm just you know going down memory lane.
0: Memory lane and a long long career there a long and very successful career and a lot of firsts as well so we're going to talk about those throughout our discussion but going back to the beginning... After such a successful career in media, where you were really leading the way, what
1: led you then to change your mind and pursue a career in politics? So when I started journalism, if you had to ask me then, are you interested in politics, I would have told you, I'm interested in politics in general, but I was definitely not interested in becoming a politician. So for me, it was like, I'm interested in journalism, I'm interested in investigative journalism, I'm interested in media. um, And that what I was primarily interested in. So when I went also to university um, at the age of 18, you know, you're like, what career am I interested in? Should I start, I don't know, reading for law, reading for this or for the other? Um, I was particularly interested and amazed by this media environment. It was at a point in time when in Malta we started having um, liberalised market when it comes to media. So we had these new radio stations coming in these new television stations coming in so I was literally enticed I started working with super one radio it was called back then now it's one um, radio and television I started reading for a communications degree and journalism became my passion so for me it wasn't just a job it was what I love doing Um, what particularly about journalism what was the thing that really drove you if you could say I really love doing that it gave me a kick, the fact that you're researching, the fact that you're investigating something, the adrenaline rush, because uh, in radio and television you have like a deadline every single day. So I learned um, along the years that I have a deadline to work uh, against and that became, became part and parcel of what I am today. So it helped me work under pressure um, and it helped me realise that you can do things but you have to give in a bit sometimes. So you can't do them like mm. up to perfection, but you have to deliver um, on time. Uh, and that's maybe the balance that I learned also. Through, through journalism. When I compare also what other people managed to achieve in uh, X amount of hours, I realize that what I learned during my journalistic um, years made me learn a lot on how to do things uh, more efficiently and manage time more efficiently as well.
0: But then, of course, you decided to move into politics. So you had this incredible career in journalism. You had this passion for it. And I, I identify with so many of the things that you've just said. But then you decided to move into politics. So what did your peers think?
1: Because you were at top of the game over there at one What did your peers think when you said, right, I'm going into politics? So I was always, as I mentioned, interested in politics, but I've never seen myself becoming a politician. At the age of 16, I was part of the Labour Youth Forum. It was quite um, an interesting time for me. You didn't see a lot of girls going into a youth political organization. So uh, I was first made uh, this uh, um, equality officer. So we never had an equality officer. And I was the equality officer of the Labour Youth Forum to attract more women, etc. And then I became the first girl who was the international secretary of the Labour Youth Forum. So I was always interested um, about politics. Then after number of years in journalism somehow people get to know you you become a household name or a face that they are familiar with because you know you're part of their living room literally and uh, I was uh, contacted to uh, contest for the European Parliament elections and it was uh, something that interested me But I had um, a month old baby. So he was, when they contacted me, so the prime minister back then um, contacted me, Joseph Muscat, he contacted me to see if I'm interested in going out and contesting the European Parliament elections. He contacted me, I think it was one week after Jack was born. So he was born on the 24th of July. And I remember myself in mid-August, you know, going for this meeting, literally Handing over my baby, like this 10-day-old baby, to my husband. Like, you know, you have one hour, just take care of him for one hour. Don't do anything to him. <laughs> <laughs> just look after him for now. Exactly. That's it. Just, just one hour. <laughs> Adament that I'm going in, and I'm definitely saying No. Because you know, I've just had a baby, this is too much um, and I've discussed it with John that I'm now rest assured that so no. So I come out of this meeting and he goes like, um, how did it go? So hmm, you know it interests me. I, I actually said yes. oh my word, <laughs> and what did John say? <laughs> like I think he expected it, to be honest, you know? (laughs) He wasn't doing backflips with Joy and everything, but I think deep down he expected it. So then uh, we had to, like, uh, make sure that we make this work. And the elections were when Jack was 10 months old. So that was kind of a bit difficult, you know? You're a new mother, you have a family, and all of a sudden you have this uh, career, where you have to go and represent your country in the European Parliament in Brussels, which means that you either have to um, relocate there and see how to make it work to come back to Malta regularly, because ultimately, you know, I'm elected by the people. I could have never gone to Brussels and stayed there for, I don't know, five years um, at a stretch. Or leave the family here and travel back and forth Um, every week so we decided to relocate there with the family and I used to come down to Malta on weekends Was that a tough call? It was, but I have to tell you there was a tougher call. So when Jack uh, was four and, you know, you start looking at schools, where are they going to start school? I want to have a good school for them and everything. He was lucky enough to go into a good school and we decided to come back to Malta, which meant that I had to go back and forth to Brussels. In the meantime, I had another boy, Kane. I had to leave the kids here on Monday till Thursday and come back to Thursday, which I have to tell you was heart wrenching. So Sunday I was already like, you know, in this bad mood, which uh, initially I could never decipher and understand. But then by the time, you know, I realized, um, I realized why. And Thursday I was running from one place to the other to try and make it earlier than 11. Cause the direct flight from Brussels arrives here at around 10.30 in the evening. So before 11, 11, 11.15, you don't arrive home. The kids are asleep. So I used to um, go to Zurich to try and arrive here at 8 and manage to see the kids at least for 30 minutes. This is crazy. Yes, but, you know, these are the things that you end up doing many times when you need to juggle a career and, uh, and your family. So it's not always easy and it's not always rosy just listening to you
0: talking about this, these are heart-wrenching, as you said, heart-wrenching decisions that you had to make. And I can see from your expression that just even thinking about leaving
1: your family on a Sunday night is really tough. No, it's, it's extremely tough. I respect all those parents, because I'm sure this does not apply only to, to mothers, it applies to fathers as well. To those parents who, people out there I think, you know, they're having it uh, good. They ha- they're having a good life, you know, because they travel so much, but leaving your kids behind them is not easy, is not easy at all. Well, this sort of leads me on to the
0: next question, because it has been said that women have it harder and have to be smarter in politics to stand equally amongst their male counterparts. Would you agree with that? I
1: mean, this has been said. It has been said you have to be tough. It has been said. If you had to ask me, I would tell you that I found that I had to work harder So uh, if uh, someone else might want to give his 100%, I always had to give like 150%. I don't know if it was because it was expected um, from me or because I realized that uh, I need to to work harder to to prove that I can be as good as my uh, male counterparts. Because let's face it, I mean... I'm all for equality and everything. But the truth is that when you look at uh, the political sphere, not only in Malta but also abroad, you see more men than women that are in, in politics. So even at the European Parliament level, if we had to fight for a legislation somehow you start seeing that certain men get certain legislations and women get different kinds of legislation. So in my main committee, which was um, environment, public health and food safety, I could see that uh, women were given more files that are related to public health somehow or to food safety but less when it comes to industry when it comes to emissions etc and I wanted those kind uh, of legislation you know I wasn't happy with the other kinds of legislation which mind you are extremely valid and very important but I was more interested into looking into the emission sector or how industry can contribute to to less emissions and the like so uh, I had to fight for example harder to get a regulation to reduce CO2 emissions from passenger cars and light commercial vehicles. And I just remember some comments that I read also on uh, national portals, like, for example, we, uh, what does she understand when it comes to cars? Why doesn't you go and push a push chair? <laughs> I just remember remember that particular comment, for example. It makes you understand that you need to prove yourself all the time, which mind you, I don't mind because I, I love a challenge and I feel that I need to prove myself all the time. So I will not say, oh, yes, this I will do like, you know, half-heartedly or I will not give my um, utmost to work on this. When you see something like that, when you see that men have it easier, is
0: it a bit of a a red rag to a bull? Because I'm seeing your face and you're like, yes, I
1: want that challenge. If they can have it, I want it. So I don't say men have it easier. I would say that if they can get that file, then I can get that file too. Now I'm thinking about the legislation. If they can do this, then I can do that too. And I think it is this mentality that we always have to push even more, but it helps us push even more barriers. Um, if I see someone, if I see another woman who came before me, who managed to do something, then that makes me realize that, yes, you know, sky's the limit, and I can do that as well. And. This brings me to the point of role models. I think having role models is so important that I see other women who manage to do things that I'm not capable of doing, then that means that there are no limits or barriers whatsoever. That other girls see what I do, what my colleagues do, what other women in business and science and technology manage to do, then that means that there are no barriers whatsoever. And it is this barrier, you know, these obstacles that we need to push further.
0: Well, we're going to come back to talk about sacrifices and your role as a, as a wife and a mother and everything like that in a second, because I want to be able to share that information with other women who will be inspired by this conversation. But talking exactly on that point that you just mentioned about other women having role models and being inspired, it has been said that there are few women in politics and there are fewer women interested in politics And maybe that is because there are lesser role models for women to be inspired
1: by. Do we need women in politics and if we need women in politics why so um let me start from the first point and then if i forget something just just, just let me know so the first point why do we have less women in politics yeah. so there is this issue of role models which i think we need to to address and we see more women um going into politics and what they manage to to deliver but there is another issue as well i think many women somehow uh, we put a lot of limitations on ourselves. We ask ourselves all the time, but am I good enough for this? But will I deliver? But uh, I don't feel I'm up to it. So we have like these concerns going through our minds um, all the time. And I would like women to be so much more self-confident. I think self-confidence helps helps us a lot to achieve things. But where does that come from? Because you don't have that. Uh, but I think it somehow we grew in a generation which i hope this new generation um will be different from us where we were made to think that we're not necessarily up to it like boys i remember so if i had to tell you a couple of examples i did a first degree um and i wanted to do something else afterwards so i did an mba and uh, you know i wanted to continue studying it wasn't enough so i did a master's in european studies and then i wanted to do law so i got these comments i remember like oh yes but you know uh, you're a woman so what are you studying um, for why do you need to study so much and I remember another instance I was in the newsroom and I was a news editor so you get people calling you all the time and there was this guy mind you very 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 nice guy Um, he was a bit older in age so I remember him calling me and he was like "Hmm, you know so how old are you now I'm like was like i don't know thirty two or something and I'm like um thirty two why uh, you know the clock is ticking you need to start thinking about family I'm like, okay you know you don't you don't get to tell me these things or this is you know insane. you put me in this in this situation Upgr- upbringing makes a difference so um if I had to look at my family and I saw always um, my mother like you know pushing us even though we we're girls. Um, always telling us like believe in yourselves it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy you can achieve things um, etc my father was always very um, liberal in his way of thinking so it wasn't like you know you're a girl you have to um, wash the dishes or anything of the sort and I think if we manage to push our girls, but also make sure that our boys understand that we're equal and both of us can achieve things. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do the same thing, but we can be complementary to one another. And I can be, I don't know, good in uh, doing a male job and he can be good in doing something else, which probably someone else would call, like, you know, that's a female job. Um, And these are the cultural molds that uh, we need to continue breaking. And this isn't a local issue. This is a global issue. It is. What difference
0: would more women in politics practically make?
1: More women in politics will bring in the female perspective. Ultimately, society is made up of both men and women. Like it or not, we have different perspective um, on life. We see Things differently, we have different experiences. um, And it's always good to put all those different experiences together. Because we're here to, if you're in politics, you're here to legislate for everyone. You can't legislate for half the country. So having all these perspectives coming into play, I believe it's what we require, what we need also as a country to make sure that we address the issues of each and every individual and each and every resident on these islands. So is it
0: only the lack of role models? or the lack of encouragement that is stopping women from assuming these roles or taking an interest in politics?
1: There are other issues as well. So if I have to speak about politics, it's not like it's the most family-friendly career you can ever have. You have long hours. Um, it's true that finally parliament is convening at a better Um, time slot than before so before they used to convene I don't know at six in the evening I think till nine in the evening at least now parliament is convening from four till half six but I do get women telling me that that is also difficult for them to manage and I do understand that because if you have kids and uh, you're a mother and like it or not the responsibility uh, falls Um, on you because we see and this is a proven fact that women are the main uh, carers for both children and also for older people and uh, having parliament from 46 means that you have kids at home and you need to like see how to juggle their time and also your career so making sure that we have a more family-friendly environment for women to be part of politics i think that would help a lot you have also the financial aspect I mean, when you see the salary that parliamentarians get in Malta, we're not speaking about a salary that you can say, I am raising my family comfortably, etc. And I know that this discussion crops up every now and again. But I believe that it is a discussion that we need to take seriously. If we want to make sure, and I wouldn't say only for women, if we want to attract valid people... To politics, then women need to make sure that they have an environment that really and truly is attractive to them. Otherwise, we can continue like speaking about this topic forever, probably. And we'll do a similar interview in fifteen years' time. And if these things haven't been addressed, probably we'll be saying the same thing.
0: Well, you're reiterating what I've heard over and over the last couple of months during these podcasts about politics being and a political role being more accessible for women, for families, with regards to its time and also with regards to it being rewarded um, financially as well. Going back to getting more women into politics, now, of course, there is the issue of quota at the moment and getting women into politics through issuing a quota and how that affects people voting for men and women. Is that going to work? I mean, you mentioned yourself just a second ago. This doesn't just apply to women, it applies to men as well. But fulfilling a quota
1: of how many women are in politics, is that the answer? Reality is that if we do not do anything, and I was seeing statistics on this, we will not see an equally represented parliament uh, for the next 70 years. Honestly, I don't want to wait 70 years. I will not be around. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, in my lifetime, I would like to see an equally represented parliament um, on these islands. I prefer to attract more women as candidates, and I've always said this: uh, initially, I was against quota because I thought it's like tokenism, and if, you know I'm in Parliament because I managed to be there because of this quota. Will I be respected enough, etc. By time, I realized that I'm not too correct in my assumptions. We launched a program. Because last election, um, uh, the Labour Party got a very good result. But when I was looking at Parliament, I was seeing very few women there. So for me, you know, it was a disappointing um, result as well, Uh, the few women we have in my point of view, are very good. So the number does not reflect on the quality of the female politicians we have at all. But for me, it's disappointing because I wanted to see more women representing each and every one of us in parliament. So uh, we launched this program, it's called LEAD, to attract women into politics. And there was a lot of interest. Um, So we started getting um, girls from the age of 16 and older women who started attending this program LEAD. Now, like in every... Uh, other program, you have women who are really interested, women who then realize, "Mm, but this is not necessarily for me, women who would say, uh, I would rather work um, in the party structures or in the background, others who are interested in being a candidate and in contesting. But that made us understand as well that, yes, there are women who are interested. So increasing the pool of women candidates, in my point of view, will ultimately result in an increased number of women who will make it to parliament. But I am in favor as well of having a measure that can promote women in parliament as well. Because when you see what was happening also in the Nordic countries, for example, the more you see that there are women who are part um, of the political sphere, and the more you realize what they can actually deliver, Then you start addressing that concern that, um, you know, but I think a man can deliver more than a woman can. So if I see what others are doing, then... Like we are saying earlier, so you see a role model, you see what a woman can deliver. So if I have, I'm hesitant on whether I want to vote for a woman or not. Um, if I see that they can actually deliver, then I'm more inclined to vote for women. If I'm a young girl and I have my questions or my concerns on whether I should go into politics because I see that it's not um, maybe what I would like or that there might be obstacles. If I see other women being successful, then I'm interested or I get can get interested into following that path as well. So I don't agree with quotas at, for an indefinite period, but having positive measures for a temporary time frame which help us see more women role models, I'm all for that.
0: Which leads me to ask you, are you aware... You as Honourable Dr. Miriam Darley, are you aware of the impact that you have on young women deciding on whether or not they go into politics? And that's kind of, in your mind, as you've just described it, that's a huge role, that's a huge responsibility.
1: I I don't see myself as a role model for other girls, but I do know, but I I don't see myself, because for me this is part of what I do every day. So for me this is part of, of me. But I do get other young girls telling me um, I wanted to go into politics because I saw you in the European Parliament or I'm interested in politics because I saw you in the national parliament. So, yes, I know that there is that part Um, as well and I take that very seriously because I feel the responsibility as well so I want to make sure that I deliver and that I give a good example and everything but you know I don't go around uh, thinking like yes I'm this role model (laughs) I'm not that kind of person let's go back to something
0: we talked about a minute ago we talked about what put what would put women off What would put young girls off? And you talked about the value of the support of your husband, John, when you made these decisions. Now, uh, let's talk about women who are going to pass through an education and and head towards and maybe still want to have a family. They themselves are going to be in a similar situation to you. How valuable is the support of your family,
1: your friends and your network? Having a supporting family is extremely important particularly if you want to go um, into politics it doesn't mean that if you have a supporting family then you know things are so much easier but yes it helps so I will not come here and tell you that having a supporting husband is not important it's extremely important and I rely so much on John um, to manage to balance career and family commitments Um, I try to be present to all the commitments that the kids have so but that means that you know I need some reminding as well along the way (laughs) I have to admit that but uh, having a supportive family is important but somehow sometimes also when you're in politics you need to make your own rules so for example I did this when I was in the European Parliament and I'm doing it here as well I used to take the kids with me in the office I take the kids with me in the office till now as well so in summer um they used to come to the office and I encourage also my staff whoever has kids they can get the kids to work I don't mind um, I, I enjoy actually you know hearing their voices and knowing that they're there playing together doing some revision work etc and somehow even when people visit the ministry and they come um, to the office the fact that there are kids somehow puts them in a good mood I mean absolutely this i mean, if is there great. are if there are people who don't like kids, then you know it's not it's not actually my problem um at least that's how i how I reason um but usually, I always find that you know people are quite receptive and they like that environment, but that helps me as well because I can do my work and I know that they're there, so it's not like I spent a whole day and didn't see them at all
0: so on a practical point, are there sort of rules that you have? put in place to safeguard your relationships you know you always try to make sure that you see the kids to bed on Wednesdays and Thursdays or you know these sorts of things because having talked to other very powerful and incredibly successful industry women through this series they've always said you know I made
1: my effort to always make sure I was there when the kids went to bed being in Malta makes it easier because this I couldn't do when I was uh, going to and fro to the European Parliament. But I make sure that I'm there in the morning um, before they go to school. And I'm saying this because I wake up at five in the morning to go training because otherwise I don't have time. But I make sure that I run back home and see them uh, before they go to school. And I make it a point that I see them uh, before they sleep. So dinner time is for us um, as much as possible, and we have that hour before they go to sleep. Mind you, sometimes it's half an hour. um, It changes a bit. So, for example, I don't do dinners. So it would be an exception if I have a dinner meeting. So if someone proposes a dinner meeting, I'm very upfront about it. Like, I have two kids. Can we do lunch? So for me, lunch um, suits me better. Lunch meeting. So I have these things. So for us, Saturday is the day that we definitely spend together. Sunday as well. But then on Sunday, I try to do a revision with the kids, do some sports together. So we have like this our own our own schedule. So Saturdays and Sundays are definitely our days to try and spend as much time together. You do have the exceptional occasions. So I'm not too rigid not to understand that I have to be flexible as well. So if there are political commitments that mean I have to dedicate, I don't know, two hours on a Sunday or two hours on a Saturday for an event, I do that. I do grumble a bit, but I do it just the same. <laughs> I think you're entitled to grumble just a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad I'm entitled to that. Well, now
0: we're talking about sacrifices, and I for any young lady or even an older woman who's listening to this who is thinking to themselves, I would love to be able to follow your example and head into politics. To be very clear, what have been the
1: sacrifices that you've had to make? Sacrifices. Funnily enough, I don't look at them as sacrifices, because I look at them as something that I had to do, or, you know, this is the way I have to adopt things. So if you, if you had to tell me, is there a particular sacrifice? you did? I wouldn't say it's a sacrifice. As a, as a person, I try to be very flexible. So I don't plan too much ahead. I try to plan uh, somehow from one day to the other because I find that so much more manageable rather than, you know, I have like this headache on what I have to do the next week. I'm a very flexible person. So if something has to give in because I need to do something else, then I'm okay, I'm easy about it and I, I do something else. And I find that, for me personally, to work really well because probably otherwise I would get all stressed up and everything and I try to avoid undue stress. <laughs> so on the flip side of that, what are the greatest rewards? Contact with people. In In your political career, you get to meet many different people. And you get to uh, understand many different realities. My greatest satisfaction is when I am contacted by someone who, for example, have issues either because of health or something. Sometimes they are trivial matters, but for the person, um, they mean the world. And I was able to help. So just to give you an example, there are five kids in Malta and they have a rare disease. And they couldn't find a particular medicine from Malta, which doesn't cost a lot. It costs a few euros, it costs around 10 euros. But somehow, since the market is very small, you have only these five kids, um, it didn't make sense for any importer to actually get this medicine. And I was contacted by these parents to see how I can help. And I managed to find a pharmacy in Brussels that uh, has such a medicine and I used to get this medicine um, to these kids and to be honest with you that is one of the greatest satisfactions that I have because I'm still following these kids and we're pushing also for them to get the medicine here and I think we managed to to find a solution to that and uh, that gives me so much satisfaction you know the fact that you can make someone's life a bit easier and a bit better
0: this is a beautiful story this isn't massive legislation this is making
1: difference to five individuals and their families i love this You know, I could have told you, like, my greatest satisfaction was this regulation or that. But really and truly, deep down, the fact that there are these five kids that I could make things easier for them and for their parents. I think that that makes all the difference. And that's for me, that's what's uh, the most important thing and what makes it all worthwhile.
0: I love this, and I can see from your smile, it absolutely makes it all worthwhile. I have one last question for you, Dr. Miriam Darley. Yeah, You had to call me Miriam, huh? through the I know, <laughs> but I, I like this, Dr. Miriam Darley. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun calling you, Dr. <laughs> Miriam. What would be your ultimate goal and ambition
1: for yourself, for women in
0: Malta, and for our country?
1: So, personally, I just want to make sure that My kids are super happy and super proud of the mother. And that's what I would love more than anything in the world. I remember when Jack, when I used to go back and forth to the European Parliament, and Jack used to tell me, but um, why are you going to Brussels? And I was working on this legislation. I was telling him, like, he was, what, four or five? You know, because the world is a very dirty place, and I'm working there to make it cleaner. And poor boy. He used to go to his friends and tell them, my mom is going to Brussels to make the world cleaner, a cleaner place. But today he has been so, I think, brainwashed about climate change and everything. So he wants to become a scientist and a lawyer because he wants to fight climate change um, and he wants to make the world a better place. So for me, you know, that is, and I want to continue pushing him if he's really interested in doing that, to actually do that. Um, What I would like for women, for women in Malta, I would like all women to understand that they can do it, they can make it, and for them to understand also the importance of financial independence. If all women realize how important financial independence is, they will be empowered from one day to the next, because you can stop depending on anyone and you are all of a sudden independent and you can do whatever you like. I've seen so many women coming to me at the age of, I don't know, 55, 58. They had a family, they were married. um, All of a sudden, something happens in the marriage. They never worked. They never had a salary and they're not financially independent. And all the problems that they had to face were beyond belief. So I would like girls to understand how important it is to be financially independent. For my country, I would like my country to realize the importance that we have even though we're a very small country that you know our people can literally punch above the weight that there is no limitation even when we go and represent uh, our country abroad the fact that we're coming from a small country doesn't mean that we need to constrain ourselves with any limitations.
0: Miriam thank you so much for being on this podcast and thank you so much for taking the time to empower all of us. Thank you.
1: It was an amazing interview, I loved it.